Bridge. It's so good to be with you this morning. Welcome to Bridge Online. I'm Pastor Rob. I'm one of the pastors here on staff, and uh, we're so glad that you are with us this morning. This morning, we're going to be continuing in our series called This is Jesus, and uh, where we've been looking at Jesus' interactions through the Gospel of Mark. Um, This is our last message in this series, and so over the past several weeks, we have uh, been going chapter by chapter through the book of Mark, and we've been looking at at Jesus' actions and interactions uh, through through the book. And so this morning, we're going to be finishing up in Mark chapter 14. Um, In Mark 14, uh, we are going to be looking at a portion of Scripture that pictures Jesus at the Last Supper with his disciples sitting at a table and... um, And in our church, this is the same Last Supper that uh, we model uh, when we take communion together. We kind of model this Last Supper when we we partake of communion together. And so we're going to do that in just a little while. In just a little while, we're going to take of the cup together. We're going to take the bread together. And we're going to celebrate communion together uh, this morning. And um, my title for my message this morning is, This is Jesus. Jesus invites us to his table. Now, what that looks like, um, it depends on maybe what your background looks like. You know, maybe you had a, a first comfort, maybe you had a confirmation, maybe you completed catechism, and then after that, uh, you, you had your first communion. And, and that's exactly what we're looking at here this morning. Um, where we're at in Mark's gospel, uh, we are looking at Jesus celebrating the first communion. And um, Jesus told the church to do two things. He said, number one, I want you to go baptize believers. Go make disciples and baptize believers. That's the first thing. The second thing he told, told us to do was to partake in communion. Take communion together and do it regularly. And um, so before we, before we jump into God's word this morning, I'm going to invite you to bow your heads and, and let's, let's pray together. Let's pr- prepare our hearts to hear from God's word. So Jesus, I thank you this morning. I thank you that you are omnipresent. I thank you that no matter where we're at this morning, in our homes, in our office, in our car, in our kitchens, wherever we are, Lord, God, I I know that we are the church, and we're not bound by this physical building that that I'm in today, but God, your church is, is your people, and God, that we are the church. And so, God, I thank you that your presence goes with us. And Lord, this morning, I pray that um, we would experience your presence in, in a new way, in a unique way this morning. Um, thank you for inviting us to commune with you, to, to sit at your table. And Lord, I just pray this morning that you would just change our hearts, open our hearts, penetrate our hearts, penetrate our minds, open our minds to what you may have for us this morning. And it's in your name I pray. Amen. Amen. So this morning in Mark 14, uh, we find ourselves in, in, in the storyline of Scripture. We find ourselves in, in the last week of Jesus' life here in Mark 14. This is the Thursday evening, and, and on Friday, Jesus is going to be crucified. So if you would, would you open your Bibles to Mark 14 and, and verse 22, and we're going to read verses 22 through 25 together. It says, while they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take it, this is my body. Then he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank from it. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. He said to them, Truly I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink 
it new in the kingdom of God. Why is this so important? Why is this portion of scripture so important? Why is it so important that you know we, we even still commemorate or, 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 or model this portion of scripture even today in, in, in our churches? And it's because Jesus was about to do something that was history making. He was about to do something that, that sets a precedent for his disciples and for the, ch- and for the church, for his church, uh, for, the, for, the, for the future. See, he's going to close the book on the old covenant, and he's going to open the book of the new covenant. He's going to establish a new covenant. And under this new covenant, um, we are part of this new covenant. We get to participate in this new covenant. We are a result of this new covenant. And, and see, what, when, when, when they are all gathered together around this table, um, you know, I know growing up, I thought about it this way. I was like, Jesus is around the table with his disciples before he's going to die. And so they're all there and they're kind of like having their farewell meal, if you would. And it wasn't like that because the disciples didn't really have an idea that Jesus was going to die the next day, even though he had, uh, he had predicted it, he had told them, but it hadn't really set in. They didn't get to see the whole picture story like we do today. And so this was not like this was his last meal before he leaves them. Um, see, it was a time of Passover celebration. And Jesus was doing here, he was transitioning Pass, the Passover celebration and turning it into a communion celebration. So just so we all have an understanding of the roots of, of, of communion and the roots of Passover, um, we're going to just take a few moments, not in great detail, but kind of look at a summary of, of Passover and what it looks like. And so the Passover uh, was, was a time of celebration. And and it was, it was a time that God had commanded the Israelites to observe. And, and, and the Passover feast was, was, was a time of remembering of when God delivered Israel out of slavery and into the promised land. And, and you can read about this in the book of Exodus, uh, about what happened and, and how God appointed Moses to, to lead his people. And so Moses, God sent Moses to Pharaoh and to tell Pharaoh, hey, you know, Israel is, is, is God's firstborn and son, and so you need to let her go. And Pharaoh said no. So, so, God, then, so God then told Moses, he said, he said I'm going to send ten plagues on Egypt. And after the ten plagues, Pharaoh will let Israel go. And, and so they go through nine plagues, and Pharaoh still hasn't let Israel, Israel go or hasn't set them free out of captivity, out of bondage in Egypt. And so so God sends Moses to Pharaoh before the final plague to tell Pharaoh that, hey, if you don't let, don't let Israel go, if you don't let my people go, um, there, there's going to be a consequence. And the consequence is going to be this last plague. And it's going to be that, we're, that I'm going to kill the firstborn son in every family, in every family in Egypt, including Pharaoh's own son. And Pharaoh still said no. Meanwhile, Moses tells Israel that God is sending this plague and, and, and that death, the death angel was going to come and, and he's going to kill every firstborn son. And, and, but God had already provided a way for Israel's families to be saved because God had a plan. He said, go and, and get, go get a lamb, go get a lamb on the 10th day, go select a lamb. And then after four days of keeping the lamb at home, kill the lamb. And then take the blood of that lamb and paint it over your doorpost. 
And, and then I want you to cook the lamb and eat it on the, on this, on the 14th day. After 10 days and 4 days on this 14th day, I want you to, to put the paint, put the, paint the blood over the, on the doorpost, and I want you to cook it, and I want you to eat it. But I want, you to eat the, I want you to eat this meal with your traveling clothes on. I want you to eat this meal ready to go. And, and so what happened was, is the death angel came, and when the death angel came, uh, he, he, he'd literally go house to house, but he would pass over the houses that had the blood of the lamb painted on the doorposts. He did not touch them. And, and, and I'm going to stop right here. Because I look at this story and I go, man, what a picture of what Jesus did for you and for me. What an awesome picture of what Jesus did for you and for me. See, whenever we apply the blood of the Lamb, the Lamb of God who carries the sins of the world, when we apply his blood to to our lives, when we put our hearts and our faith in Jesus Christ, death passes over us. See, we're moved from death to life. And it's an awesome picture of what happens to us spiritually whenever we put our faith in Jesus Christ. And so when we look at this story, the, the, the Passover in Exodus here teaches two principles. Number one, to be delivered from death, to be delivered from God's wrath, to be delivered from God's judgment. Um, death is required. Number two is that death could come via a substitute. The lamb could take the place of the firstborn. So when the blood of the lamb was spilled, death could not come into your home. And and that was a picture of Jesus. And and that is why they were celebrating here in Jerusalem in Mark 14. And the Passover, it was a massive festival. The Jews would come from all over the world, from all over over the the, the empire, and they would come to Jerusalem. And historians say that, um, the population in Israel, in Jerusalem, would, would double some years, even, even up to five times the amount of people would come into Jerusalem during this Passover celebration, during, the, during this Passover time. And so that's where we come at, where we come to here in Mark 14. So Jesus is here and he's celebrating the Passovers with his disciples. And, and, and this Passover meal that we're talking about, it's not like a, a meal that you and I would have. Um, it, it's not a, a fast food, let's drive through Burger King and grab our food and, and head down the road kind of meal. It wasn't a, hey, I'm going to pick up Chick-fil-A and drop it off and we're going to sit around a table and eat it together. It wasn't that type of meal. This meal was, was a long meal. It was one of those meals that you sat down and you were there all evening. And it comprised of different foods and it comprised of different courses that, that represented different pieces of the history of Israel while they were in captivity. And, and, and there were different, different, different cups that were, were lifted up and that they, they were prayed over and they were blessed and, and different psalms that they sung. And, um, so Jesus is here, and picture this, Jesus is here and he's at this meal and he's sitting at the table with his disciples and, 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 and he's singing songs and, and he's breaking bread and, and he, 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 in the midst of all of this, he, he's sitting there and he's going, I'm creating a new covenant. He's establishing a new covenant. The disciples didn't know what he, that he was doing that. In the disciples' minds, he was just celebrating the Passover with them. So this morning... I want to really dive into what communion really means. What communion really looks like. What does this bread really represent? What does this cup truly represent? 
See, in our church, I believe that there are many who, who don't really understand communion. I know for me growing up, like, I, uh, I, in my church I grew up in, we, we took communion every month. We did it regularly, just like we, we see in Scripture. And, you know, the first Sunday of every month, we took communion. And, um, and I, know, I knew the big picture kind of understanding, if you were to think about it like that. Like, I knew the big picture idea. Um, that, you know, we were remembering what Jesus did on the cross. We were, we were remembering his sacrifice, but we were recognizing his death and what he provided for us. Um, but I, I, maybe I didn't really grab a hold of the true meat of, of what communion really means. And I believe that there are many of us in that same boat. I believe at Bridge there are those who, who either, A, you don't understand communion at all, or, or maybe you come from a background where you understand communion to mean something different than maybe the way that you've, you've seen it modeled here at Bridge. Or maybe you come from a similar background. Maybe you come from a similar background where you celebrated communion, and, 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 but communion maybe was never thoroughly explained to you. And I would venture to say that there are probably a lot of people that were like me growing up. There's probably a lot of you listening this morning um, sitting in your homes or whatever, that were, are like me, who, who grew up and communion was practiced, but the only information that maybe you got about communion was maybe the five or so minute teaching minutes that are shared before we would partake together as a body. And um, I, I, I missed a lot in that. You know, I missed a lot from those five minutes. You know, every month I was pulling another little nugget. Um, and, and I missed a lot of what is intended to be taught in Scripture for us to understand the bread and the cup and the whole meaning of communion. So the first thing I want us to really, really just recognize is that communion is about remembrance. And and we know this because Jesus says it in the gospel record. Um, It's clearly stated in in the gospels, but he he also, in Paul's account of of the Last Supper, um, in 1 Corinthians 11, 23 through 25, Paul recounts this. And this is what it says in 1 Corinthians 23 through 25. It says, The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Do this in remembrance of me. Do this. When you drink it, in remembrance of me. See, when we come to the, come to the communion table, we're remembering Jesus' suffering. We're remembering his, his work on the cross. We're remembering his resurrection and, and that he is coming back again. The promise that he is coming back again. And, and so at communion, we remember. We're remembering him, but we also are remembering that he is a God who remembered us. See, the idea of remembrance here isn't just about us remembering the actions of Jesus. It is is the idea that he is a God who remembered us. That on the cross, he remembered you. On the cross, he remembered you and the plan that he had for your life. You were on his mind whenever he was on that cross. Whenever all those actions of suffering and resurrecting and the promise of, of the new kingdom to come, whenever all that was taking place, he was thinking of you and he was thinking of me. And so at communion, we're remembering a God who remembered us. And so this morning, we're going to look at, at each one of these elements. We're going to look at how we can remember, 
remember Jesus, remember his actions, and, and remember his thoughts towards us as we look at the bread, as we, as we look at the cup, and as we remember and anticipate the coming kingdom. So the bread, the cup, and the coming kingdom. These are the three pieces of, of communion that I believe that Jesus, Jesus makes very clear that we are to celebrate, that we are to commemorate, that we are to remember. And so this morning, we're going to look at what each one of these symbolize. And so the first piece is the bread. The, bre- the bread. And in Mark 14, 22, it, it says this. It says that, that while they were eating, Jesus took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying... Take it, this is my body. And the element you have this morning representing the bread, maybe it's a cracker, maybe it's an a actual piece of bread, um, maybe it's a goldfish. I, I don't know what you have at your house this morning that, that is symbolizing the bread, that's symbolizing the, the body of, of Christ. Um, depending on your background depends on how you look at this piece of bread. Depends on how you... Look at the symbolism that comes from this piece of bread. And I, and I believe that it is important for us to know the differences in what we do here at Bridge and maybe what you have been taught in the past or what maybe you were taught growing up in regards to uh, the, the, the communion elements, in regards to the, the bread and, and the cup. And so this morning when I mention other backgrounds, when I mention other, 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 other thoughts and teachings around um, around these communion elements, please hear my heart that I'm not throwing anybody under the bus this morning. I am simply just explaining the difference in viewpoints in, in the communion elements. And so this morning, you know, when it comes, when it comes to the bread, maybe you grew up Roman Catholic and, and maybe you, uh, you, 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 you went to a Roman Catholic church, you believed in something or you were taught something called transubstantiation. Transubstantiation. And what, what, what the Roman Catholics believe here is, is that at the Eucharist, whenever they give thanks, Jesus said, give thanks, when Jesus gave thanks for the bread before he broke it, and he gave thanks to the cup before they partake of it, and, and whenever they, at the Eucharist, when they give thanks, that this bread and this cup, this juice, actually becomes the physical body, the actual body, and the actual body, and the actual blood of Jesus Christ. And at Bridge, we, we don't believe that. Whenever we look at the bread, we're not looking at it as we're eating the f- actual physical body of Jesus. We're celebrating and we're remembering what Christ did for us. Maybe this morning you grew up from a Lutheran background. And, and when you, whenever you were taught, you, maybe you have heard of or you were taught consubstantiation. Consubstantiation. And that is where the bread and the cup are not the physical body and blood of Jesus, but they are the spiritual body and the spiritual blood of Jesus. And and again, this is not our understanding of the scriptures. See, Jesus, time and time again throughout scripture, speaks figuratively. He speaks using symbols and using metaphors time and time again. And so, here's some examples of Jesus speaking figuratively. I want to just give you a few. Number one, Jesus says, I am the vine. Well, we know that Jesus is not an actual plant. Jesus says, I am the door. Well, we know he's not a piece of lumber. 
Jesus even previously refers to himself, to the disciples, as the bread of life. Whenever he was laying out his mission here on earth, in John 6, he was speaking figuratively. And so this morning, when we look at the bread, I want to look at three things that this bread symbolizes or speaks to. Number one, the bread, it speaks to his life lived for us. His life lived for us. Think about the story. Think about the story of Jesus being born and at 33 years old entering in to ministry, or 30 years old, entering into ministry, and then dying at 33. See, when I, when I look at that story, I think about how that could be differently if Jesus wouldn't have come in physical form. Think about the conversation up in heaven. You have God the Father, and you have Jesus, and they're sitting there, and they're looking down at us, looking down at the world, going, man, there is a mess down there. Boy, they have, there is a mess going on, and, and we got to do something. So Jesus, God says to Jesus, the Father says to Jesus, hey, I have a plan. You know what my plan is going to be? Is, you know what, on Thursday, you're going to go down, and you're going to tell them who you are. On Friday, they're going to kill you. On Sunday, we'll resurrect you, and we'll have you home back in the palace by by Monday morning. Think about how the story would be different. Think about how our belief in Jesus might look differently if that was the story, if he hadn't lived a life here on earth. But that's not what happened. See, Jesus came as a baby, and he spent 30 years here on earth. And my mind sometimes gets blown when I think about this, that why does the one who created the universe, why does the one who the angels adored, why does the one that, 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 that comes down from heaven, the Son of God has to come down from heaven, lay down his deity, and spend 30 years on earth? I mean, I'm 33 years old. I look at my life and I go, 30 years on this earth, they've been rough. I've been through a lot of trials. I've been through a lot of different situations. Man, it's been a, it's, it's, sometimes it's a rough 30 years. And I look forward to what God has in the future for me. But this is the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the Son of God. And so he spends 30 years on the earth. And after 30 years, he spends three years doing ministry and, and being mistreated by, by those around him. People who don't believe what he's saying. Here is why. Because God made him who had no sin. Jesus couldn't lay down his life, his sinless life, if he hadn't lived a sinless life. He couldn't lay it down on our behalf if he had never lived it for himself. I hope that makes sense this this morning. See, the the, the idea of the one life lived entirely for us. Hebrews 4.14 says this. It says that Jesus was tempted in every way, yet he did not sin. He never dishonored his mom and dad. He never stole. He never lied. He never did anything wrong. He was perfect in every way. And the Bible says that God took him who had no sin that, that, and placed our sin on him. See, he made him sin for us. He made him sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. 
And so essentially, you know, the idea here is what happened on the cross is that Jesus, the one who had no sin, he bore our sin. The perfect spotless lamb took our sin. He took our wickedness. He took our failures. He took all of that on himself. And when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, when you put your faith in him, he puts his righteous life on you. He puts his righteous life on us. You gave him your unrighteousness, and he gave you his righteousness. So that when God sees you, he doesn't see someone who's a failure. He doesn't see someone who is screwed up. He doesn't see someone who, who, has, who has walked in sin. He sees you as righteous as Jesus. Jesus lived a righteous life for you and for me so that we might have a righteous standing before God. The bread speaks of his life lived for us. The second thing that the bread speaks to is his presence with us. And I'm going to read from 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 16. It says, Is it not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks, a participation in the blood of Christ? And is it not the bread that we break, that we break a participation in the body of Christ? And that word participation there can be translated to, to, to the word communing. And when we look at the idea of communion, you know, that's not really a word that we use in our modern language. It's not a terminology that we use. I'm not like, hey, you know what? Call up my friend. Hey, Pastor Brian, why don't you come and let's, let's commune together? Like, that's not something we usually say. We don't say things like that. And we don't use that terminology. And, 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 but the idea is, here is communicating without words. That's the idea here. That's the translation here. That's the idea. And I know many people. I know, I know people that have this, these similar relationships. You know, maybe this morning you're sitting at home and you're like, yeah, I have a relationship. I have a friend. I have somebody that, that I can be in the same room with and we're communicating and we're not even using words. Like, like just the idea that we're in, we're, in the, we're in the same room, we're in each other's presence is enough for us to be able to communicate. See, for me, my wife is one of those people. You know, we can be sitting in church, we can be sitting in a restaurant or something, and I don't have, we don't have to say one thing. And, and, you know, she has an idea of what I'm thinking, or I have an idea of what she's thinking, or we're, and we're communicating. And, you know, this is really illustrated in, in teenagers, right? So whenever I was a youth pastor, you know, I saw this all the time with something about teenage girls. They have some sort of weird connectivity that we would be driving down the road. It would be completely quiet in the van. And all of a sudden, it's just like laughter. And it's like, I'm like, what in the world just happened? They were communicating. They were talking but they weren't using words. Kind of weird, kind of strange, but this is what happens whenever we take communion. It's an interaction with Jesus Christ that can only be had in the, at the communion table. It's an interaction, a, a unique, unique way of being in his presence that only happens whenever we are at the table of the Lord together. It's a, it's a communication that transcends a physical building. It transcends a, 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 a location. Uh, we're interacting in a way with Jesus that is unique and that cannot be experienced in any other way other than at the communion table. Can you be in his presence in other ways? Absolutely. Can you experience his power in other ways? Yes, absolutely. Can you fellowship with Jesus in other ways? Yes, you can but not in the same way as whenever we're ga- when you're gathered at his table, 
partaking of the bread, partaking of the cup together. When you're holding the bread, you're holding the cup, you're communicating with him. You're communing with him in, in a different way. You're talking with him. You're interacting with him. You're, you're in a unique and a powerful and a transformative way. So the bread speaks to his life lived for us. The bread speaks to his presence with us. And third, the bread speaks to our relationship with each other. In Mark 14, verse 22, it says this. It says, While they were eating, Jesus took the bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples. And I want to read also in 1 Corinthians 10, 17, um, the, 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 same, the same thought here from Paul's account. It says, Because there was one loaf, we who are many are one body. For we all share the one loaf. We who are many are one body. And I love this illustration of Jesus taking the bread, and I'm going to take one of these crackers just as an illustration, and and he breaks it. And he begins to hand it and to give it to his disciples. He gives each one of them a piece of, of the bread. And this symbolizes Jesus giving each one of us a piece of himself giving each one of us a piece of who he is. See, those scriptures say that, that we, are, we are created in the image of God, that we are created in the image of the creator. See, we are all wired different. We all have different personalities, and we all have different gifts, talents, and we all have different abilities. And, but when we're all put together, we are all part of one body, the body of Christ. And, and I believe that when Jesus takes the bread and he breaks it and he hands it to his disciples, I believe it represents a distribution of his life to each one of us. That through one man, everybody can receive the gift of eternal life and be part of the body of Christ. So it doesn't matter this morning where you're at physically. It doesn't matter the distance between me and you. It, that doesn't matter. When you take communion, you are affirming that you are part of the body of Christ. That whenever you take communion, you are affirming that you are in unity with a body of believers. You know, when we hold this bread and we, we, we take the cup, it's a checkpoint for us. Are we good with those who are around us? Are we in right relationship with those who, who, who we are, who are, in, who are around us, who are, who are believers? You know, is there unforgiveness? Is there jealousy? Is there anger? Is there bitterness? If there is, we need to take care of it before we take communion. When we look in Corinthians, we see that this was kind of what was happening. See, the Corinthian church was having their communion service, and, and they were eating together, and, and they, were, they were doing all these things, but they didn't get along with each other. And there were people who were starving out, outside, but yet they were still partaking of communion together. And, and Paul writes in, in, in Corinthians that, that, we, that they were eating and drinking judgment on themselves. It says to take communion in an unworthy manner is to eat and drink judgment on oneself. And see, when Paul writes that, I, I believe that what he's actually alluding to is, is more of the idea of eating and drinking in an unworthy manner, I believe primarily has to do with unresolved differences in the body of Christ or in unresolved differences in the body of believers. 
And so communion is not just a time to do an inventory of our relationship with God. You know, Paul writes, and you might have heard this, is that a man ought to examine himself. It's not just examining our inventory of our relationship with Christ, but it's also examining our relationship with each other. Jesus said in Matthew 5, if you're going to the altar to present your sacrifice to the Lord and remember that your brother has ought against you, you are to go and reconcile that relationship before you leave your sacrifice there. Go and go. Go and restore that relationship. Then come back to the altar and, 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 and present and offer your sacrifice. Communion is a way of unifying the church. It's a way of celebrating the church. And that's all celebrated and symbolized in the bread. You know, whenever I hold the bread, I think about the body of believers that I get to be with. I think about you guys. The body of believers that I get to surround myself with, that I get to do life with. And I thank God that I get to be part of his, his body of believers. I, get, I thank God I get to be part of this, this massive community of people who are making an impact, not just in this area, in Lansdale, but around the world. All of that is symbolized. His body. It's part of the, in the bread. Then the second element of communion is the cup. The cup. And in Mark 14, 23 and 24, let's read this together. It says, Then he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank from it. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many, he said to them. In 1 Corinthians eleven twenty five, we read this. He says, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. The cup represents a new covenant. The cup represents his blood that was shed to establish a new covenant with us. This new covenant is where God is no longer removed. This covenant provides us access to the presence of God. No longer does man have to sacrifice animals to to offer on behalf of their sins. No, under the new covenant, Jesus Christ's blood was shed For every sin, for every sin, the new covenant, our sins are not just forgiven, but they are forgotten. Under the new covenant, the Holy Spirit is given to us a deposit in our hearts, guaranteeing, guaranteeing that we are not only forgiven, guaranteeing that that our sins have not just been forgotten about, but that we have been adopted as children Adopted as a child, a son, and daughter of of God. We don't just have access to his presence, but his presence lives inside of each one of us who has put your faith in Jesus Christ. The new covenant provides healing. In 1 Peter 2.24, it says, By his stripes you were healed. The new covenant provided by his blood gives us the gift of eternal life. All of that is symbolized in the cup. The cup symbolizes the blood that gives us access, gives us the gift of eternal life. And beyond that, because of that eternal life, we get to anticipate the coming kingdom, the kingdom of God that is coming. And that's the third piece of the communion of, of communion that we see. 
when we the communion table one that we see is the coming kingdom. In 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six, it says, For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Do you realize that when you take the bread and you take that cup, that you're not only saying that I believe that Jesus died and, and that he rose again, but I believe that he is coming back. I believe that he is coming back. Mark 14, 25 says this. It says, truly, I tell you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. In the Greek, and Jesus is saying here, I never, ever, ever, ever will drink again from the fruit of the vine until I drink it again in the, drink it anew in the kingdom of God. In other words, Jesus is saying, I want you to do this. I want you to do this in remembrance. I want you to do this as a family. I want you to do this as my followers. But I am not going to do it again until we do it together in heaven, in the eternal kingdom. And he's referring to a time whenever he, when he returns. Jesus talk, talks about this in the gospel, in the gospel record. But we see, we see it again um, from, from John. And John talks about it in Revelation 19, uh, verses 7 to 9. That, and it says this. It says, Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. For the wedding of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given to her to wear. And the angel said to me, Write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, These are the true words of God. He's the groom. We, the church, are his bride. And, and you might ask, say, you know, Pastor Rob, I'm a dude. How in the world can I be a bride? And, you know, I'm right there with you. How am I going to be a bride? I'm a guy. Like, that's going to be kind of weird. I put on a white wedding dress and I'm like, yo, Jesus, let's go get married. That's not what he's saying. He, he's, he's describing here, it's imagery, guys. He's describing here the closest of the closest relationship that, that hu, the human mind can even understand. The most intimate of human relationships is what he's trying to, to, to paint a picture of here. That we're going to be as close to God in, the, in, in a way that we can't even humanly even understand. And we'll never get over the, how close we are to God in all of eternity. Do you feel distant from God today? Do you feel like God is maybe a million miles away? Communion is an opportunity for us to get close to his presence and to get a little taste of what eternity is going to be like. When we're around his table, we're sitting at his table, God is closer than we can ever imagine. Communion can be a solemn remembrance of his death, but it's also a celebration of what to come, what is to come. Because I can tell you, eternity is going to be a celebration. When Christ comes back and the wedding supper of the Lamb takes place, I can tell you it's going to be a celebration beyond celebration, something that we probably can't even humanly imagine. And this morning, let's do that together. Let's remember Jesus' actions on the cross. Let's remember what he did for us. Let's remember what his body provides for us. Let's remember what his cup symbolizes. And let's partake of the communion elements together. 
At Bridge, we believe in an open communion. We believe that you don't have to be a member of a church in order to partake of communion. The only requirement is that you are a believer. You have put your faith in Jesus Christ. And this morning, I would be remiss if I didn't give you the opportunity to do just that. Maybe you've heard this message this morning and you said, Pastor Rob, like, you know, my heart is drawn to, to Jesus. I want to I wanna partake in, in, in remembering what he did for me. Paul says that it's with your heart that you, are believed in, that you believe and are saved. And it's with your mouth you declare that he is Lord. It's not about a specific formula. It's not about a specific prayer that you pray, but it's about a heart change this morning, guys. And so right now, um, I'm gonna invite you to, to pray with me. If everybody, if you would just bow your heads and close your eyes right where you're at. And um, maybe you would pray a prayer that would be, that would be something like this. Jesus, I accept your sacrifice on the cross. I want you to be king of my life. I recognize that you died in my place so that I might have eternal life. I surrender my heart and my life to you today. I'll give you just a few moments to just maybe pray a prayer similar to that from your heart. And if you prayed a prayer like that this morning, um, we would love to be able to help you continue to grow in in your relationship with Jesus Christ. Please reach out to us. You can um, comment on the video on on, on Facebook. You can uh, send us an email at info at bridgecomchurch.org. And we would love to help you start your, your faith journey. This morning, let's take communion together. How awesome is it if you just, if you gave your life to Christ this morning, you get to partake in communion right up front, which is so cool. You get to remember what, what Jesus did. So let's, let's take communion together as members of one body, different parts, in many different places this morning, but one Lord Jesus Christ. Do you have your bread? Do you have your cup this morning? Do you have your bread? Do you have your juice? I'm going to read from 1 Corinthians 11 and and verse 23. And it says this, it says, For I received from the Lord what I also pass on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's pray together this morning. Father, thank you for your body. Thank you for your sacrifice for us. Thank you for installing inside of each one of us a piece of you. Your creation created in your image. Thank you for your life that was lived for each one of us. Father, I thank you that you took my unrighteousness and gave me your righteousness. Thank you for inviting us to your table, into your presence. And Lord, right now we examine our lives. We examine our relationship with you. And we examine our relationship with others, with others around us. In church right now, I would, I'm going to give you five seconds to, to go ahead and, and examine those relationships. Do some introspecting, some, inner, inner, some, some inspecting inside your heart this morning. And as we take this bread, Jesus, we're remembering your sacrifice. 
We're remembering your life lived for us. We're not doing this out of obligation, but Lord, we're doing this out of remembrance and celebration. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Let's partake of the bread together. I'm going to continue reading in 1 Corinthians 11, and we're going to be in here in verse 25. It says, In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. You have your cup this morning? Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you for your blood that was shed to establish a new covenant, a new relationship between you and your people. Thank you for your blood that provides us access to you and to your presence. Your blood that provides us with grace and mercy. It's because of your shed blood that I am able to pass from death to life. Your blood paid a price for my sin. And for that, I am forever grateful. Jesus, this morning, your blood is the reason that I have eternal life. It's because of your shed blood that I get to look forward to eternal life in the coming kingdom. The day whenever we will be around a table with you, celebrating together. Thank you, Jesus. In your name I pray. Amen. Let's take up the cup together. Church, this morning I pray that communion would not be a duty, that it would not be an obligation that, you, that we partake in, but a time where we experience him in, in a unique way, a time of remembering and a time of celebrating, a time of looking back and a time of looking forward. I look forward to a time whenever we are able to all be together again. But remember this, you are the body of Christ. You are the church. God does not require a building for his presence to be evident. He needs his people, the church, right where you're at, to open your heart and to invite him in. And I pray that this morning you feel God's presence with you wherever you are. I hope that this morning you were able to connect with him and his presence. Before we go this morning, I want to just, I want to pray over you. I want to pray a prayer from, from, from scripture. And it says this, so if you would just close your eyes and I'm going to, I'm going to, I want to pray over you. It says, now may the God of peace who brought up from the dead, our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, and ratified an eternal covenant with his blood. May he equip you with all you need for doing his will. May he produce in you through the power of Jesus Christ every good thing that is pleasing to him. All glory to him forever and ever. Amen. Have a good week. Thank you for joining us at Bridge Online this morning. Uh, Remember to stay up to date with everything that's happening here at Bridge 
Community Church, you can visit us at bridgecomchurch.org slash live. We're praying for you and we hope you have a blessed week.